Home prices may be out of control. Big banks are at a big disadvantage. And it's as true as ever. Don't mess with Texas. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. It's Friday. You have joined This Is Where the Money Is. I'm Matt Kopenheffer, and right here next to me is David Hansen. Hey. David, a Panthers fan and a big Cam Newton fan, I assume you saw last night when the Tampa Bay Bucks cannon went off and Cam Newton freaked out. Apparently Cam did, Newton is not a not big fan this of because, cannon blasts. Because the NFL is evil and they put these Thursday night games on the NFL Network. Nobody has the NFL Network. I didn't see it. Well, you got to go out to a bar. you got to watch it at a bar. Isn't that what every red-blooded American does? I was watching my St. Louis Cardinals get a, get a victory in game two, so that's my excuse. All right. Well, getting back to financial news, let's start off with the headlines today. First headline we have, home sales stall as price rise hopes outstrip mortgage valuations. So this is not about the U.S. This headline is not about the U.S. This is about London. And the story is, is that uh, home prices are rising very quickly in London, a story that we can relate to here, uh, and that some sellers may be starting to ask a little bit too much for their homes. Uh, in, they were saying basically that, that there are a lot of areas of London where uh, home prices have not gotten back to the previous peaks, but in some areas they've actually gone, gotten there and, and gone beyond that. So obviously the question for us is, what does it mean for the U.S.? Are we getting back there? Is this something that we're going to have to worry about? Are, are sellers just getting used to the constant uh, rising of the home price mar- of the home prices, and, and are soon going to be asking too much and slow down the entire market? I think that's that's possible. You can probably hear anecdotes from people in various markets saying, "I expect my home price to increase ten percent. I'm going to ask this much." If they ask that much over over down down the street there, but if we look at a recent survey that that Fannie Mae did, they asked consumers say, hey, how much do you expect your your home to increase in value over the next year? And the average was about 3%, which if we go back historically, that's about what home prices increase on a nominal basis. So not factoring in in inflation there as well. Home prices usually go up around 3% a year. So it doesn't seem that that U.S. consumers are getting too far ahead of themselves yet. yet. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure there are some. There's obviously you can you can hear anecdotes about some sellers being very optimistic. But I think on the whole, I don't think we're in a territory where it's very dangerous right now. I think I go back to Robert Schiller, who who just won a a Nobel Prize. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's shown pretty conclusively that a home is not really that great of investment from a returns perspective. Our colleague on Chakavelu uh, wrote an article, I think it was last month, talking about the rent versus buy question. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I like that he came out with is uh, buying a home is a, is a way to force many, uh, many investors, uh, people, mm-hmm. we'll say people in the U.S., forcing them to save, right. whereas they might not otherwise be saving. So there's something to be said for that. But as an investment, not not a uh, uh, not going to light the world on fire, you mm-hmm. might say. Uh, now the mortgage market, meanwhile, has been continuing to struggle as we've seen uh, some increases in mortgage rates. Not so much this past quarter, but the quarter before. Bank of America just yesterday said it's laying off another twelve hundred. Uh, people in its mortgage department, and we could see another 2,800 go in the fourth quarter. Right, and you, you say that the, the mortgage market overall not great, but when you look at the actual purchase money and people coming in and wanting to buy homes, that market's doing fine. Which is what we want to see anyway. Right, right? that market's doing fine. It's the refinance business that's right. slowing down. That's no surprise with rates moving up. Just by matter of fact, there's going to be less people that are going to go out and refinance as rates rise. So that that's falling, but the actual purchase market is... Doing quite well. Good. 
All right, moving on to the next headline. This one is from American Banker, and the headline is, Why Big Banks May Be at an Annual $14 Billion Disadvantage. And the author here is going back to that article that Bloomberg did a couple months ago that said, hey, big banks get an implicit subsidy from taxpayers of $83 billion a year. Basically saying that, hey, the market realizes that these banks are too big and they're being able to, to borrow at lower cost than the small banks. The author saying, that's not really true. Yes, they, they may get a, an advantage because they're big, but if you look across all industries, most big companies do get, get a funding advantage mm-hmm. over their smaller competitors. So this isn't unique to just banks. This isn't unique to Bank of America and Citigroup. This is pretty much across the board. And the disadvantage part comes in. The author talks about Dodd-Frank and the costs that come along with that. Some of the smaller banks don't have to deal with some of the same regulations that Bank of America and Citigroup do. So when you, when you incorporate those costs, it's really a disadvantage. And the takeaway for investors here is you can't just look at one study from Bloomberg and say, oh, it's unfair. The big banks get all these breaks. You can't look at just this article and say, oh, it's unfair for the big banks. They, they get penalized here. So you, ha- you have to go back and look at the business, look at the valuation, and kind of just take these studies with a grain of salt. My, my note here after reading that article was great games you can play with simple math. Yes. Uh, I, I think that's part of what happened there at Bloomberg. It, it was, I mean, it's an interesting thought, but... Uh, it, like this article from American Banker points out, there's a, a, a much bigger a much bigger picture to be looked at. The other thing is, when you think about the big banks, look at what's going on over at J.P. Morgan. Look at, what, at what's happened at uh, at Bank of America and even Citigroup to some extent too. The uh, the legal scrutiny has been so much greater mm-hmm. than on the smaller banks, and I would I would almost guarantee I, I would make a bet. I told you before the show that I'm not a betting man, but on this I would make a bet that most of the same stuff that's happening at the big banks happened at their smaller competitors, but because they're big, they're easier to target and and it's more glaring. Mm -hmm. Third headline of the day, this comes from the Wall Street Journal. Headline is, Texas knows something about regulating Wild West markets. Uh, The article is about uh, FERC regulating energy markets and looking for participate participants manipulating markets and, and thinking about ways to change uh, how, that, uh, how that goes on. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that jumped out at me is that uh, the FERC fine of J.P. Morgan is, is one of that laundry list of, of legal fines that, uh, that we've seen for J.P. Morgan. But J.P. Morgan isn't the only one that's, that's faced a FERC fine. Uh, even over just the past year, FERC has fined uh, Barclays, Deutsche Bank, Rumford Paper and Competitive Energy Services. So uh, it's not just J.P. Morgan coming out on here. And furthermore, as, as Widener, uh, uh, David Widener claims in this column, the rules that the FERC uses when, uh, when determining manipulation may not be that clear. A little so vague. Here, here's, here's what he writes. He says, right now, FERC has been employing an enforcement policy that William Hogan a professor, a professor of global energy policy at Harvard University says is similar to former Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart's famous line regarding pornography, I know it when I see it, an approach that's left many traders bewildered and guessing as to what is permissible and what isn't. It's, a, it's not a huge story for these banks, I agree. It's, it's on the, li- the laundry list, but it's just something that they're going to deal with. There was a quote in there that's, that talked about Texas, and we have a great video just to say... <laughs> Don't don't I mess with Texas, and here it is. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it either. I wouldn't do it. I'd never do it. Don't mess with Texas. 
Matthew McConaughey. I'm, that's I, who you go to. That, he's the he's the, he's a scholar <laughs> on these types of things. So you just got to go to him. I'm, I'm glad we were able to get that in there. You were so excited about that's that. It's a good video. video. It is. It is a great video. It is All a great right. video. And kudos to Matthew McConaughey for just bringing it home there. Uh, moving on to our to our focus for the day. Uh, every morning, I read uh, Wall Street Journal's uh, Money Beat. I, I get an email, and there's a uh, the headline today is "Don't Laugh at Cassandra," and essentially, it's talking about the fact that bears are disappearing, and to the extent that there are still actual bears, <laughs> yes, actual <laughs> bears, actual well, polar bears. Oh, yeah. You're going to make me sad. I really okay. like polar it's Friday. bears. Let's keep it happy. I, yeah, let's keep it happy. Uh, market bears, okay, there we go. David. Market bears are disappearing. And to the extent that, that those are that some of them are still around, they're basically getting laughed at. Uh, this is uh, from the article, from the write-up. There are very few people out there saying ominous f- things, and the few who are are being ridiculed. Everybody's buying, buying the peaks, buying the dips. Everybody expects the world's central banks to arrest any market slides. It's not even debated anymore. So as our viewers and listeners are... are I mean, as they tune into us every day, I mean, we're sitting here every day talking about, well, you, know, you can sort of go through most of the financial sector and there are a lot of uh, good deals available. Mm-hmm. I've said that. I believe that. You've said that. And I, I think you believe that. Yeah, I do. Wh- where's the disconnect here? I don't I think we're getting to the point where people are just... People don't like to feel good. People like a, a little pain sometimes. And we've gone so long without a lot of pain. But... I think in these times, you you can't try to predict. We we had Morgan Housel on the show a couple times, and he's very adamant about not trying to time the market. I agree with him. I think you agree with it, too. I I don't think you, you can try to time these things. I think at times like this, you really have to go in and just keep learning about companies, keep finding great companies that have performed over the long run. And if there is a market sell-off, there's going to be a market sell-off. There's, there's one, what, every a big market sell-off every eight years or so. That's the average, or a recession. Uh, you can't time these things. You have to find banks. If you're looking at banks that grow book value over time, that have good management, insurance companies that write good policies, you can't worry about the macro too much. I think you really have to look at it at a company level. I I, I agree. I, I think it's tough to I think it's tough to worry about the the macro in terms of trying to predict it. And to some extent, I, you know, I, I agree that when when you are in a bull market, and I think we we forget this because we're coming out of a, a bear market and feels like a long time since we've been in a, in mm-hmm. a bull market. I, I guess we've been in one, but prior to this, you're climbing a wall of worry to some extent. And, and I, th- I think we're we're starting to get beyond that. And I think that's what this uh, money beat uh, column is sort of referring to is that we're, we're getting past that wall of worry and we are seeing more optimism. I feel like I'm seeing more optimism. I, I think this time last year, it was much different. Although, I guess that's easy to say today, right now, on the other side of the government shutdown and the debt ceiling debate, there wasn't a whole lot of optimism uh, just prior to that. Um, but, uh, you know, what, one thing I, th- I think we can be looking at, too, though, is, is valuations. I mean, when we, when we think about um, what we want to be buying uh, in this market, what we want to be taking a look at, Obviously, I, I don't want to be focusing on things that are that are overvalued. So I took a look at the S and P 500 specifically, and I compared valuation multiples uh, applicable to the different sectors today versus sort of the 2006 2004 kind of era. I averaged those those two periods mm-hmm. together to see how valuations compare uh, across industries between uh, these two periods today versus then. On the expensive side, 
I saw consumer discretionary stocks, consumer staple stocks, utilities, materials, and to some extent industrials, all looking fairly expensive mm-hmm. on that comparative basis. Uh, on the cheaper end, uh, technology, energy, uh, healthcare to some extent, and then, uh, and then financials, all, all look fairly cheap on that comparative basis to me. And, and what was interesting is that as I look through this is that you'd think given being in a bull market, that the, um, the, the, sort of the cyclical stocks would be getting a lot more attention and people would be moving away from the, the safety of utilities or consumer staples. But it, it's not, I mean, that's not evident in mm-hmm. where valuations have gone because the, the valuations of consumer staples and utilities, which are, if people are looking for a safe place to be, uh, that's it. And then when you're thinking about the riskier type of stocks, uh, tech stocks, uh, maybe energy stocks and financials, which are more cyclical mm-hmm. and, and tend to, uh, at, the end of, um, at the end of a bull market, at the top of a bull market, those are the valuations that you start to see stretched. Mm-hmm. And people are leaving behind consumer staples. Like, why, do we need, why do we need to own a tissue company? Why do we right. need to own Kellogg, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that hasn't, we haven't really seen that. And even if we look within financials, so it's not, it's not, uh, it doesn't hold perfectly across the board in financials. Uh, we see REITs, so the traditional equity REITs that actually own apartment buildings, pay out nice dividends, are sort of stable and steady and will deliver good dividends but aren't that exciting. Those are on the more expensive end. And then we look at banks, uh, and those are on the cheaper end. And insurance companies are somewhere there in the middle. Uh, so it's interesting to me that, it's, that it is very bifurcated. Mm-hmm. And... I think my, my guess, and, and this, I, I don't like to get into the whole prediction game, just like you're saying. It's a, it's a good way to look silly. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're going to see uh, if this bull market continues is a migration. It, it, we will see more investors start to leave the, the, the safety of the consumer staples, of the utilities, uh, maybe of those equity REITs, and start to move into some more cyclical and I guess I could say riskier fare. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen some of that. I mean, I mean, look at what Tesla's done. Look at what Netflix has done just over the past year. Reed Hastings getting worried about where Netflix's valuation is going. Um, but I think we'll see more of that. And, and I think, uh, you know, that's not the reason I would say to invest in, in banks. Um, I think it's a combination of valuation and I think it's a combination of the recovery of the businesses. Um, but I think it will be good for bank investors, I think it will be good for insurance investors. I think that's a, a reasonable thesis going forward. <laughs> you're, smi- you're smiling, well, though. I don't. See. Yeah, I think it's reasonable. We, we we never quite know. I think now is in a very important time. Every any, any time is a very important time for an investor to do this. Is ask yourself what's what's my time horizon here? For what time horizon am I investing in these stocks? If it's just for the next year. You shouldn't be just investing in a stock for the next year if you're banking on needing that, needing that income or needing that money. That shouldn't be the case. But if you're investing a 10, 15-year holding period, I really don't think it's worth your time to worry about these things. Uh, is the market overvalued? Is a looming crash coming? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't, personally, I don't think you should be worrying about that if you have a really long time period of what you're investing in. If you're an older person and in retirement, Maybe if you're feeling a little bit worried, maybe you shouldn't be as exposed to stocks. That doesn't mean to sell them all. No, you, you um, shouldn't. If, if, if you don't have at least five years, you, sh- you just shouldn't be. Right. Uh, so I think all, all the market forces aside, what could happen, what, what will happen, I think it's important just to look at yourself and say, why am I investing? 
what's my time horizon, and how will I well, how will I react if something does happen if the stock market does fall twenty percent? That's a very important question to ask yourself. I will I will let you have the last word on that. Okay. Well, thank you. Moving on to the game for today. It's Friday, so we're playing Investing Chicken. Yes. There he is. There he is. Uh, Investing Chicken today. We're going to take a look at one of the biggest mortgage REITs. Mm-hmm. We've got mortgage REITs uh, on the docket to start reporting earnings next week. So we're going to take a look at American Capital Agency today. And just a quick note on how investing chicken works. We haven't seen this guy before. This is great. So you and I will each present a pair of scenarios. Mm-hmm. And the other person has to react to those scenarios to decide whether they're going to hold on to the stock or sell it, given that scenario. And the eventual chicken... Has to the wear two that. of us has to Yeah, wear for it. those of you listening, we have a full-on chicken hat, a headdress, if you will. It, it is a headdress. It is so we're just doing two scenarios each here. Two scenarios each. And this is a very, this is a very soft chicken. This is probably well, it's cold outside. Um, you want to go first? I do want to go first. Go for it. Okay. You own American Capital Agency uh, in this scenario. You own American Capital Agency. It's trading at book value. And Annalee Capital, its close competitor, mm-hmm. is trading at... 0.9 times book value, so a 10% discount to book value. Now, let me throw this in there. There will be trading costs, let's say $10 on either side, and let's say the investment is $5,000. So $10 trading costs on either side, and this is a short-term gain on American Capital Agency. So if you sell right now to switch out, you will pay short-term trading costs. Explain the scenario again. You own American Capital Agency I own stock. American Capital Agency. It has gone up. The stock has gone up. It's now trading at book value. And this is a scenario. This isn't real life. This is a scenario. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, Annalee, its close competitor, is trading at a 10% discount to book value. Now, I know you own Annalee in real yep. life, and you like Annalee as a company. Uh, so if you have this disparity, will you take on the trading costs, take on the short-term gains taxes in order to switch into Annalee? I don't think I would. No, I don't think that's a big enough discrepancy there. They're very similar business models, a little bit different. Uh, Both of them invest almost entirely in agency mortgage-backed securities, Mm -hmm. which, of course, are backed by Fannie and Freddie and some other government entities there. I don't think that's a huge discrepancy there in terms of valuation. I like the Annalee management team better than I like the American Capital Agency uh, team. But the trading costs, the short-term thinking there... I wouldn't do it. Okay. All right, my first scenario to you is investment guidelines are amended at American Capital Agency, and they are now allowed to invest in non-agency securities and other real estate stuff, uh, potentially going out and buying single-family homes in in this part of the business. So branching out of the agency business, what are your thoughts? Does that make you nervous? Potentially. I mean, it potentially makes me nervous. It depends on how they execute that. So I, don't, I, I actually don't like the idea of going out and buying single-family homes. As a, I mean, there are a few of those uh, that, have, that have cropped up over the mm-hmm. past few years. I think that was a good strategy a few years ago. I don't think it's as good now um, in terms of buying new homes, not necessarily managing them. But the idea of American capital agency getting outside of agency, that could be good rather than bad. That, that could be a good move for them. Mm-hmm. So that, that wouldn't have me sell right there. Okay, fair enough. Uh, my second scenario, American Capital Agency buys its sister company, American Capital Mortgage. So this is similar to your scenario, yes, but instead of just amending the, uh, its, its guidelines, it buys that whole company. 
similar to the move that Annaly made buying uh, its sister company, Crexus? Um, I think I'm going to have a similar a- answer to you. It's it's not a reason to go out and sell right now. It's a reason to... It's a flag. A flag goes up. I don't know if it's a red flag. It's maybe a reddish flag. Uh, but if you look at the management team... <sighs> I knew I should have gone tougher on CIO, CIO came from, from Freddie Mac, so he has experience in the agency in the agency. Okay, part. okay, I get it. You're not so, wearing so I'm, a, I'm a little bit, I'd be a little bit nervous because they don't have the experience in the non-agency business, but not selling there. Fine. All right, I'm going to try to knock you off here. Make you wear that hat. American Capital Agency, leverage ramps up to 10 times. It's around eight, eight or so times now. So ramps up, ramp, leverage ramps up. And their lenders demand a bigger haircut on their borrowings. And their, their interest rate spread falls to 0.5%. It's now at 1.5%. So 100 basis points. Terrible scenario. The yield curve is very flat. Are you selling at that point? Well, yeah, that's an easy one. Put the hat on. Jeez. He's got the hat on. So you're selling. Why are you selling in that scenario? Why am I selling? That's a terrible scenario. That's a, it's an awful scenario. They've taken on a ton of leverage. I mean, uh, I would almost assume that that's to combat the fact that the spread has fallen Correct. so much. Uh, and if we... And if, and if we look at today's market, you, I just don't think you want to be that levered in such an unpredictable market, uh, MBS market, as we are mm-hmm. today. And, you know, regular viewers and listeners of our show know that I'm not a huge, huge fan of the Emory sector as a whole. And I'm particularly not much of a fan of American Capital Agency. Mm-hmm. So that's an, that's an easy one. You went overboard on that one. You got me wearing the hat. What can I do? All right. Well, if and if anyone if anyone's not... A, Intimately familiar with American Capital Agency that's listening, you can tweet at us at TMF Financials, and we can uh, direct you t- towards some articles that maybe give some more primers on American Capital Agency and their business. So speaking of Twitter, we'll speaking move on. Speaking of Twitter, moving on to Twitter, finish off the day and the week in the Twitter sphere. But before we do... You're going to wear that hat the rest of the show? Why not? Okay, cool. I've already got it on. And, and it works well with Twitter. Uh, we are on Twitter, at TMF Financials is our Twitter name. Uh, you can follow us. You can tweet at us. We'd love to get questions. If we get questions, we'll answer them right here on the show. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. I'm guaranteeing it. Wow. That's a David Hansen guarantee. You don't, don't know what you just got yourself into. All right, David, what's the first tweet? First tweet, Warren Buffett quote. This is from Alejandro. He says, in the business world, the rearview mirror is always clearer than the windshield. And again, that's a Warren Buffett quote. And this reminded me... Of all the stuff going on with with J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, that hat looks ridiculous. Um, <laughs> ridiculous. We, we look awesome. we look back at, at the Bear Stearns acquisition, the Countrywide acquisition, the WAMU acquisition. Looking in the rear view, we're saying, "Oh man, that stuff looks terrible." But again, it's much easier to look at that rear view mirror and say, "Okay, it looks bad now." But at the time, there, there's a clip circulating from Jim Cramer from 2008 after the Bear Stearns acquisition, praising J.P. Morgan, saying that they're geniuses. Jamie Dimon's a genius here for making this deal. So it's easier to look back and say, all that stuff's terrible. As investors, we have to look forward and say, based on what we know today, does this make the business stronger? So good quote from Warren, as usual. I think another good point there is that when we look at JP Morgan, when we look at the banks banks today, that clear rear view is is dominating, I think, still the picture. And and people are looking at that rear view and not thinking about what could be out of the out of the front of the car, out up ahead. Um, and so I think that's part of the reason why 
can get such good deals on financial stocks. And also, today. speaking of Buffett, we should say we have a new report. We mentioned we it do. yesterday. We do have a new report. You can, you can get it by emailing Warren at Fool.com. That's Great. Warren. His first name, Warren Buffett's first name, Warren at Warren Fool.com. Warren at Fool.com, and we'll send you the report over. It's all about Buffett's greatest wisdom. So greatest. It's a, it's a good read. greatest wisdom. All right, second tweet. Warren at Fool.com. Second tweet here. Uh, this is breaking from CNBC. Senator Paul threatens to put Yellen nomination on hold. Informed leadership of intention to put Yellen nomination on hold this week. Wait, is that... I don't know why they wrote it twice. Because okay. it's breaking. It's Well, and it's really important. It's really, it's doubly important. Are you worried that Janet Yellen, someone that you've been rooting for, could get held up? Are you worried? I assume that, that's Ron they're talking about, right? I think it's Rand. Oh, Rand, okay. Rand. No. You're not worried? Not it. I mean... The, the, the Pauls, the Paul family is great. They're outspoken. They, they, they have their issues and they go after them rabidly. Mm-hmm. But, um, but on something like this, yeah, I, I don't think that that's really going to hold up the Yellen nomination. Fair enough. All right, moving on to the last tweet from our own Jordan Wathen. He says, push to start? That's a feature on my washing machine, not my car. So my question to you is, <laughs> looking across your life, what's one thing that you wish just had a push to start button and that was it I, I i do wish i wish that was a feature on my computer at really? home yes <laughs> there is a button that you push the old ripcord computer <laughs> there there is a button you push on the computer mm-hmm. and in theory i think it's supposed to start it up but how it really works is i push that button i go and do other things like cook a meal go for a run take a shower mm-hmm. and then eventually read the computer book. is on read the dictionary read, yeah, read the entire <laughs> dictionary cover to cover uh, follow up with war and peace and then maybe mm-hmm. my computer will be fired up it's not even that old it's like 3 years old uh, how about you i'm going with a shower go into anytime you're visiting visiting a hotel someone's house you go in there and they, you're how, how do you work the shower can can we not just have a uniform <laughs> Did shower you really just say There's, how do you work the shower there, is it the left hand is it the right hand that's hot you have to pull up the thing can we not just have a button that says push to start the how, shower how are you going to set the how are you planning to set the temperature have a little digital thing outside wow I you're talking about fancy showers now well there, did you see the video of that one shower it's i think it's like a $30,000 shower the water is scented. It cleans your entire body. That's what we need. We need more. I'm of sorry, David. You and I don't have the same budgets. <laughs> well, that's my wish. I want to push to start the shower. All right. Well, that's the show for today and for the week. For those of you enjoying normal showers and not David Hansen's fancy showers, I wish you a good weekend. I guess to those of you enjoying fancy showers, you can have a good weekend as well. We will see you right here next week. Thanks for watching.